At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we kick off the new year, we invite you to tune into our current series, The Forgotten Virtue, Learning to Love Again, where we'll discover how God defines love, Christ personifies love, and the Spirit empowers us to love one another. Together, we'll experience healing and hope in the love God designed for us, a love we carry through every season of life. Uh, If you've got a Bible, I want you to take it out and turn with me to 1 John. As we, in these coming days, you know, I'm very much open to have conversations. I love um, to talk to people. I am meeting with people. And so if you just need someone to talk to, I'm here. Um, I'm available. And I love to just uh, hear your story and, and, and talk with you a little bit more. All right, we're, uh, today we're continuing our series uh, in 1 John. So if you've got a Bible, take it out and turn there. We're going to be in chapter 2 of 1 John. Chapter 2 of 1 John. You know, in your life, have you ever had one of those opportunities where you had like a wake-up call? You know, like you going through life and you think everything's one way and then all of a sudden you're, you have some new knowledge or you have a new revelation. You're like, wait a minute, maybe everything's not the way I thought it was. Or maybe you're, you've lived your life and you're going down a path and you think everything's okay and then all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, not everything is okay. And you're forced and at, a, at kind of at a crossroads, either you're going to continue on the path that you have already set or you're going to make a change. You're going to go a different way. Well, you know, I, I hope we've all had some of those moments in our lives. And for me, one of those moments came about 10 years ago. 10 years ago, I was laying in bed. It was at night and Sarah and the girls were away uh, visiting some family out of town. And I'm laying there in bed. And all of a sudden, I start to, start to feel like sweats come over me. And then my chest begins to feel tightening and my arm begins to hurt. And I'm thinking to myself, what in the world is happening to me? And I have shortness of breath and all of that. And we lived way out in the country. Like the closest hospital was like 45 miles away. And so I'm like, well, I can't call an ambulance because that's not gonna do any good. So I just laid there in bed and prayed. And I was like, God, I don't know what's happening, but be close to me. I thought I was having a heart attack. And so the very next morning I get up and I go to the doctor and the doctor does an EKG and does a whole blood workup and all that other stuff. And he's like, he's like, Jeff, you, you didn't have a heart attack. And I'm like, thank you. I'm like, that was, that, that's like music to my ears. I thought that, that things were, I thought, I thought I was gonna be a goner. And, and uh, it turns out that he's like, I don't know what it was. I might've just been indigestion, whatever. But then he leans in close and looks at me. He's like, but Jeff, things have got to change. See, what had happened was that I had to begin to develop a lot of unhealthy habits. When Sarah and I got married, I was about 135 pounds. And as we continued on in marriage, we began, I began to love food like more and more and more. Like to me, the perfect meal would have, been, would have consisted of something sweet, something greasy, something was salty, right? You guys are like, mmm, someone's like, you're speaking, that's my love language, pastor. <laughs> Right, but it's, and it's almost in that order, right? You like, like we, I, I would always like to have my dessert first and then I'd move on and gotta have something greasy and then you gotta top it all off with something salty. Well, we used, Sarah and I would spend a lot of time indulging ourselves in all the delectable foods that God has created and we ate, we ate them and I ate much more than she ever did, but I ate a lot of them. And then as, uh, as the kids started coming, I'd pack on like 10 pounds with every kid. So the first kid comes and I'm 10 pounds heavier. Then the next kid comes and I'm 10 pounds heavier. And the next kid comes and we had four kids. That's a lot of pounds. (laughs) Lots of ice cream. Lots of ice cream. I love ice cream. Still love ice cream. 
But by the time that this episode happened, I was pushing 200 pounds. And that was a wake-up call to me. The doctor looked at me, he's like, dude, something's, something's got to change. He's like, you, you've got to make some differences because this is, this is just one of those warning signs. Things aren't going to get better. And so in that moment, as I began to, to think through, like, what needs to change? And I realized that I needed to make some changes. And whenever we make changes, there's, there's this thing that happens in our lives. It's, it's an embracing of something new and a rejection of something that's bad, right? So I had to embrace a new healthy way of eating, and I had to reject a bad way of eating. I had to reject eating all of the goodies and sweets. I still do, but not as, not as much. I also had to embrace different healthier lifestyles like picking running back up again and doing exercises and things like that. And so I had to embrace while also rejecting. And I tell you that, that story because it's possible in our lives just as it's possible for us to develop health, unhealthy habits that can lead to physical heart problems. It's possible for us to develop unhealthy unhealthy habits that impact our spiritual heart, especially as it relates to the objects and the things in which we love. Like I had a severe love for food, like an unhealthy love of food. I can remember like sitting at, at my desk at the office and thinking about all the delectable things I was gonna have at, to eat that night. I was thinking through and, and the flavors were like rolling over my tongue as I'm sitting there. I had an unhealthy love of food and it impacted me in an unhealthy way. In the same way, we can do the same thing spiritually when it deals with the things that we love. We are prone to have to develop unhealthy practices as it relates to our spiritual health and our spiritual heart. And as we are looking at this series in 1 John, today we're going to continue it as we've looked at the forgotten virtue, the virtue of love, where over the course of time we're going to learn how to love again. It's possible that you're here this morning and you've misplaced some of your love. Your love is divided, and I want us to see today that as we look at God's word, that God rejects the love the world embraces. This is the truth we're gonna see. God rejects the love that the world embraces. Do you see there? There's a, a sense in which a, a, an embracing and a rejecting. It's possible today that we're here and we've embraced some of the kind of love of the world and by doing so we've rejected some of the love that God has for us or the type of love that God wants us to live. And you know, when we see just from that truth that God rejects the love the world embraces, we come to understand that there's a huge difference between the way that the world defines love and the way God defines love. We know in 1 John, we looked at this last week, 1 John 4, 8, it simply says God is love. God is love. And how do we know God is love? Because God is the creator of all things. And as being creator, he has the right to define what love is. He gets to set the rules because he's made everything. And so God is love. God has the opportunity to find what love is and what love isn't. And through this series, we're gonna to continue to look at what is God's definition of love. But we see that's in direct competition or direct conflict with the way that the world defines love. You see, the way the world defines love is love is purely an emotion. Love is purely a feeling, and we associate love with happiness. So love equals happiness. So if I'm happy, then that means I'm loved. 
If I'm not happy, then that means I'm not loved. And so the, the way that we are told to love, according to the world, is do whatever makes you happy. If it makes you happy, do it. If it feels good, do it. But the problem is, is that our feelings of happiness are so fickle, right? Like we may get all involved in a relationship with, with, with someone and we may love that person because they make us feel happy. But what happens when that person disappoints us and when that person lets us down and we're no longer happy by that person? What do we do? We break ties with that person and then we move on. That's why there's so much brokenness in the world. This type of love does not lead to unity. It only leads to further dysfunction. Love cannot be defined by your happiness. So it's possible over time that we've developed parts of our hearts that love in this kind of way, where we're seeking to do things in our lives that are all about our own happiness instead of loving like God wants us to love. So if we are to love in the way that God wants us to love, and if today I pray that it is somewhat, somewhat of a spiritual awakening so that we can see the areas of our life where we may be misdefining love and maybe loving in the way the world loves and not the way, the, the way that the Lord loves so that we can get that fixed. So if today is that wake-up call, what then do we need to embrace and what do we need to reject? Those are two things, and we're gonna see both of those in this passage today. First, let's take a look at what is it that we need to embrace in verse 12 through 14, we're gonna learn that we need to embrace who we are in Jesus. Look at what John says. He says, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. So John is encouraging us to begin by embracing our identity in Jesus, who we are in Christ. And he uses this passage and use, uses this family language to help us see that he cares deeply for us as he's writing. But then we have to ask ourselves, well, who is the father, who is the young man, and who is the child? Years ago when I would read this passage, and I would interpret it much the way a lot of scholars do uh, even today, they, they would say that John is writing to three distinct type of people within the church where they stand in their spiritual maturity. So he's saying, some, some scholars say that he's actually writing to three different groups. He first is writing to the children, those that have just come to faith in Christ. He's giving them an encouragement. And then he's writing to the fathers, those that are spiritually mature in their faith. And then he's writing to the young men, those that are up and coming and strong in their faith. And many, many years I interpreted this passage this way. But then I did a little more study and I did a little bit more looking at the language and the way it all fits together. And what I believe that, that John is saying is he's not talking to three different distinct people, but he's talking to every single individual believer. What he's saying is, is that each one of us who are in Christ have different parts of our identity that we're, we are like a child, we were like a father, and we're like a young man. And that's what he's doing here. He's saying, I'm writing to you so that you can realize that God has given you everything that you need in order to live the life that he's calling to. So let's break these down. So you're kind of like a child. A child who has placed, places their faith in Jesus is a forgiven child. 
because you are forgiven, he says. I'm running. All it takes is a childlike faith to trust that Jesus is who he says he is and, prom- and promises to save us. When we believe in that, as a child, we have our sins forgiven. Remember last week we took a look at the, the fact that Jesus is the propitiation of our sins? Right, Because of his work on the cross, he is continually forgiving us over and over and over again because we still continue to sin. So Jesus' forgiveness covers our sins in the past, our sins in the present, and the sins that we're going to do in the future. As we continue to sin, his propitiation or his continual forgiving is washing over our sins. Or he's going on our half before the Father saying, it's forgiven, it's forgiven, it's forgiven, it's forgiven, it's forgiven. So as a child... Like a child, we have been forgiven. And we've been, been forgiven for his namesake. You see, it's God's character that's on the line, not yours and mine. And he saves us, not because we are worthy of being saved, but he, he saves us because he is a loving God and goes the extra mile to come in and forgive us. It's his name that is in, on the line. And he can't just forgive us without the, without the sins being dealt with and all the sin was dealt with on the cross in Christ. So our sins are forgiven. And as a child, you can know the Father. This is the second verse to the children. He says, I write to you children because you know the Father. Because of our forgiveness state, being forgiven, we now have the opportunity to approach God and to know him. Know him like a heavenly father. And just as a child places their trust in their father, as followers of Jesus, we are to trust in God's leading in our life. He says, you're like a child, but we're also like a father, a father who has known God from the beginning. This word know, knowing God, is the word gnosko that we talked about last week. It's that word of intimate knowledge and understanding and experiential knowledge of another person. And so what he's saying here is these fathers that are older because they've spent time, they have the spiritual maturity and the seasoned, the seasoned and their seasoned because they've walked with God. They have wisdom because they know God has been there to get them in their time of need. God has led them in paths of righteousness, that God has led them and been there with them. So they know God. They have an intimate relationship with God. And we too can have an intimate relationship with God where we can know the God of the universe. But then he also says, you're, you're also like a young man who in the past, you've had the strength to overcome the evil one. And then in the next one, he says, the, the source of your strength comes, f- comes from the indwelling word of God. That you've had the strength, you do have the strength because the word of God indwells inside of you. You have the power to overcome. So if we put all these things these threes together, what John is saying is that you can have, you have the faith of a forgiven child, you have the wisdom to know God in the ways of an adult, and you have the strength of a youth to obey because of his word. Do you see the complete picture now? I remember years ago when when I was younger, I was trying to become like my own DIYer. I was gonna take care of, you know, we, were, we didn't have a whole lot of money when we first got married and, and uh, things needed to get done. And I didn't wanna pay someone to come in and do the project, so I'm like, I'm gonna get this done. And me being you know, all, all the strength and, and all the stamina of a young person, I would go, get this project done like all head in. And didn't take, I didn't need YouTube, I didn't need anyone's help, I didn't even need all the proper tools. All I needed was duct tape, <laughs> screwdriver, and a drill. How many of you are with me? 
That's all you need, right? You got those three things and you're good. And so I would do all the DIY projects with all of those things. And, and you come into my house and you'd see like the, the, the shelf wasn't level. You couldn't put anything on it because it would always roll off. I didn't need a level. Like I don't need, a, I don't need no stinking level. I got, I can, done. It's there. It's up on the wall. Now duct tape it, right? So I do all those things and man, I would make a mess of our whole house. I would destroy every project and have to do it like eight or 9,000 times. And finally, years later, I've come to understand that the wisdom is set in and you need the right tools for the job. Now, husbands, you can use this as an opportunity. You know that project you want me to do? I need some new tools, right? Because you need to have the right tools to do the job. That's one of the things that I've learned. But it's taken a lot of time for me to get there. If you want to hang a, a shelf straight, use a level. That's what it's there for. Your eyes can be deceiving. I tell you that story because if, if, I, was, if I knew back then what I know now, it would be a different scenario, right? It'd be a different situation. I wish now that I'm at where I'm at. I have all this wisdom, but I'm getting old. And I don't have the power like I used to and the strength like I used to. I got a bad back and things hurt a little bit more. So I have to move at a little bit slower pace. So I wish back then I had the strength. I wish now that I had the strength that I had back then. And I wish back then that I had the wisdom that I have now. You guys understand? You can follow me where I'm going? What if you can have all those at the same time? And this is exactly what John is telling us. He's saying you've got it. You've got the faith of a child. You still trust in God. You still believe that he is your heavenly father. And like a child, you've got this untapped faith. You're like, okay, God, I trust you. I'm not going to second guess you. I trust you like a child. So you've got that inside of you where you can believe him. But then you've also got the wisdom because you've walked with it. And you're walking with him. And you have complete access to the God of the universe. So not only do you have the faith, you have wisdom. He's given you the ability through the power of his spirit to discern, to know the right way in which you should go. And then he's given you the strength of the youth to actually obey. Like you can actually do it because you have the, the strength. You have the word of God abiding inside of you that can move you and give you the power to do what he's calling you to do. Isn't that amazing? Like we got it all. It's all here inside of our bodies. So we all, we, all we need to live and love in the way that God intends us to love. He gives us the strength. He's given us the wisdom. We have everything that we need to accomplish the task. But we need to embrace this identity. That's what we need to do. We don't need to just understand this is who we are. We actually need to embrace it, like exercise it out. I can sit back and I, I could have said years ago that, yeah, I need to have a better diet. I need to exercise more. And, and, I, and it can stay on paper and it's not gonna change me. What needs to happen is I need to embrace it. That means actually start doing it. Does that make sense? Like, this is your identity. I'm telling you what your identity is. God's word is telling you what your identity is. You must embrace it. You must say, okay, this is me. I can trust him like a child. I can have the strength of a youth and I can have wisdom. I can know what I'm supposed to do and how I'm supposed to do it. So embrace that. And once we embrace our identity, we're ready to do the second part, which is to reject all that the world has to offer. Reject what the word world has to offer. Let's look in verse 15. 
John writes, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, he lo- the, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride and passions, is not from the Father, but from the world. And the world is passing away along with his desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. John is very, very quick here to say, don't love the world. Or another way of, of saying what John is saying, he's, he's saying reject the world. And maybe you want to pause right here, and I want to define this world this word world for you. For John also writes the words of Jesus back in John chapter three, verse 16, where he says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. There's a word for world there and that word for world means all peoples. Doesn't matter the color of skin, where you're born, wherever you are, what time of history you lived in. That means God loves all of the people that will ever be created. God loves them and we are called to love them as well. Because if God is love, he wants us to love in the way he loves, so we are to love the world. You follow me? But here, that's not what he's saying. He's not using the word world to refer to people. He's using the word world here to refer to a world system, the system of the world, the way that the world thinks and the way that the world operates, we are to reject that. And not only are we to to reject the way that the world operates, we're also to reject or to not love or to hate the things of this world, the materials of this world. We are to use them, but not to fall in love with them. They are not to be our master. And he says, don't love the world or the things in this world because this world system is truly corrupt. This world system is all about selfishness and sin. Don't love the world system. The world system is this. The world system tells you that your purpose in life is to live an autonomous life from God. You guys know what that, that word means? It means unto yourself. Like distance, like living, get yourself to where you can live where you don't need God in your life. That's autonomy. I've got enough money, I've got enough friends, I've got enough fame, I've got enough power, I've got enough this. You have all of that, you don't need God. The problem with that is that none of those things fulfill. And autonomy, seeking autonomy, is a rejection of our creator. It is the deepest rebellion at our hearts is this move towards autonomy. And that's what the world says. You don't need God. So we reject the world because we are called to be distinct from the world. The problem is, is that there are things in this world that are so appealing, right? There's things in the world that are so appealing because lots of times what God wants us to do is he he wants us to withhold gratification, right? He says, I'm gonna save you. You can be saved from your sins, but I'm not taking you to heaven until you die. So you've gotta wait for that. God is a God that says, wait, I'm gonna give you all the blessings, but wait. Our world says, no, have it your way right away. Right, have it right now. We want instant gratification and I can have instant gratification just like this, but what's happening is that instant gratification is actually killing me. Where God says, no, wait. See, the world makes a lot of promises, but the world never delivers. We see in, in verses 16 and 17, there are three limitations of the world. I'll mention these and then we'll go through them one at a time. The three limitations of the world is first, the world cannot offer you what you need. The world cannot offer you what you need. 
Second, the world cannot offer you what it promises. And third, the world cannot offer you anything that lasts. So first, let's look at the the world cannot offer you what you need. Look in verse 16. He says, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eye, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. See, this world system offers us three things that don't, we don't need to please God. First, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eye, and the pride of life. These are three things that always tear us away, always pull us away from God. Remember back in the garden with Adam and Eve? Remember when Eve sinned? We can see these three things show up in her life in verse six of chapter three of Genesis. I'm gonna break this down for you. Genesis chapter three, verse six says this. So when the woman saw, meaning that she understood, that the tree was good for food, meaning the desires of the flesh, and that it was a delight to the eyes, the desires of the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, that is the sinful pride, she took it and she ate it, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. See, those saved three areas of our life have been, have been killing people literally since the very beginning. The three ways in which we slip up. It's easy for us to look back at Eve and be like, Eve, you were so misguided. You were so misunderstood and misguided because you could not see all that God had given you. God had given you the whole garden to live in. Like you had all the food you could ever need. And he said, but not this tree. And you had perfect fellowship with God. You walk with God in the cool of day. Eve, how could you be so silly? Well, Satan came in and began to mess with her. He began to tell her these two lies. He first said, what God, given you, what God has given you is not good and what God has given you is not enough, right? God has, what God, has, God has withheld some goodness from you. He's withholding this good tree from you. So that means God is not good because he's withholding this good from you. So take of it, it's good. And then he, then he goes in and God's not, it's not enough. There's some things about God that you don't know You don't know the difference between good and evil. God's withholding that from you. So what God has given you is not good and God is not enough. Those are the two lies that Satan gives us. And we need to continually in our lives with the work of the Holy Spirit inside of us, continue to monitor three areas of our life. First, our appetites. Second, our affections. And third, our ambitions. These are the three things that we continually need to check because we all have them. We all have appetites. We all have pieces in our whole our lives where we feel like we gotta fill something with it. And if we're filling our whole in our life with the things of this world, it's gonna lead to destruction. But God has given us an appetite so that we can pursue him, fill our lives with him. So our appetites, our affections, how oh, it's easier for us to, to love different things. And, and we know what we love by what we spend time with and give our mind over to and give our heart over to. And I'll tell you, if we really want to be a person of love, your affections that are placed in Christ, that's where it begins. And as you love more and more uh, of the Lord and the Lord loves you and you feel that, then that overflows into every other relationship. Where are your affections at? Where are your ambitions? 
Is your ambition to rise up the corporate ladder, to, to be the best mom, to be a better dad, to be, is that who you want to be? Or are your ambitions to be that which God calls us to, to come and die? Right, the, the call to be a Christian is to come and surrender everything to the Lord, saying, Lord, here it all is, have it all. I trust you as a child because you know what's good for me. You know what's best for me. I don't know what's best for me. So we need to check our affections, check our ambitions, and check our appetite continually. The second thing is the world cannot offer even what it promises. The world can't promise, the world can make all kinds of promises, but never can fulfill. Here's the crazy thing about the world. The world is like salt water. Like, imagine you live in a dry, a dry area and you are dying. It's hot outside and you just need some water. And you see this big cup of cold water with ice cubes in it. It's what you desire and so you drink it, but then you find out this salt water. What do you do? Well, you spit it out, right? Because you know it's gonna kill you. But that's not how we live. That's not how we live. Somehow we allow the, our minds to be distorted so that we continue to drink the salt water. We're like, but it's cold. It's cold. I need, I'm hot. I need to be cold. And we don't realize that what we're actually drinking is actually killing us. See, the world can make promises, but the world never fulfills. And lastly, the world cannot offer you what lasts. Verse 17, and the world is passing away along with his desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. This world is passing away. It is not permanent. It is going away. And why would we want to love something that's not everlasting? Let me ask you this today. If we were to take, uh, let me say this and I'll ask the question. You know, you can tell, I've come to understand, you can tell what teenage girls love by walking in their bedroom, right? right? You know what they love. Like you look at the walls, you look at different places, and you can tell what they love. You can tell what they do. You can tell who they are by what they put on, on the walls. But the same is true for what we put on the walls of our hearts. The things that we love, we give space in our hearts. So if we were to come over and we were to have an open house in your heart, what would the story of your heart be telling? What do you love? Do you love the things of the Lord? Or would your heart show us a love for the world? Not for the people of the world, but the system of the world. What I'm gonna ask us to do, we're gonna pray in just a moment, and then as we sing this next song, just ask the Lord, God, look into my heart. See if there are things that I've hung up on the wall or that I've got in the drawers that, that don't honor you. Bring it to my mind so that I can follow through with 1 John 1, 9, which says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us, forgive us our sins and cleanse us all in righteousness. Give God space to your heart and allow him to come do the cleanup. Like just come in and say, God, it's all yours. All this space is yours. I give it all to you. And then let him hang the posters. Let him put what he needs to have in the shelves and on the bed and all that other stuff. Let him decorate your heart. And you'll see it's really what you want in the end. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you've never come to the saving knowledge of him. You can know him today. I'll be available out in the lobby. You come by and say, Pastor, I need to know Jesus. And I'd love to share with you how you can know him. But for many of us, Today 
is to be a checkup on our hearts to see if there's unhealthy things inside of there that are getting in the way of our spiritual health. Let's do the business, do the work of the, with the Lord and allow him to reveal so that we can continue on by being clean. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you today for your word. We thank you that your word brings life to our very souls. We thank you, Father, that you have not left us here on our own to wonder what honors you and how to grow in love for you. But Father, today as we have looked at your word, we need to be reminded that we need to embrace our identity. What a beautiful thing that you've done for us, giving us everything so that we can live in the way that you want us to live. That we don't have to do it in our own strength and power, but we have to do it in you. And Father, I'm also aware, because this world is so tempting, I'm aware that there are ways in which we are guilty of loving this world. So Father, each one of us, wherever we're at today, reveal that to us so that we may confess it, be cleaned, and continue on. Father, I pray that we not miss this opportunity in these moments to do some real business with you, to really give you this space and the opportunity to come into our hearts and to do some cleaning. We desperately need it, Jesus. So do it and allow us to obey. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.